Hey, Julian. Hey, Mike. Oh, and Mike, what do you feed your dog? Dog food. Yeah, but isn't he good? I don't know. How would I find out? Well, you look it up. Look it up on uh, nutritionrvn.com. Hey, look, tell you what, I'll save you the trouble. Let's have Jessica J on. Okay, let's get her on the show. Jessica J from Nutrition RVN. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Here we go. Let's get her in. Good evening, Jessica. Hello, Jessica. Hi, how are you going? Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, it's evening where you are, aren't you? Isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, just gone 6.30. Yeah, it's 9.30 in the morning over here. Yeah, it is indeed. I'm, I'm still half asleep here. <laughs> I'm, still I'm sorry I've waken you up. Not a problem at all, Jessica. Not a problem at all. So I'm in Victoria. Right. So I'm right in the middle of Tassie. Tassie's beneath me. <laughs> Not in that way, but it's beneath me. Um, and then above Any me. Any Tasmanians is- listening, uh, that was a slip of the tongue, <laughs> and Jessica doesn't really mean I mean, that. Yes. Um, yeah, New South <laughs> Wales is above me. And so uh, a lot of New South Wales, um, it, so it borders on uh, Queensland. And between the border of Queensland and New South Wales is, again, mostly, you know, wilderness um, and farmers. And so a lot of that is overrun with mice at the moment. So we had a mice plague. Which oh, wow. Wild. No, I, I know about that. That's, that's awful, isn't it? We've all seen these videos of, of mice just uh, swarming over these, uh, these grain silos. Mm. I heard recently that there was an effort to try and eradicate rats from one of the uh, one of the islands off Australia. And I thought it was um, Tasmania, but I could be wrong. So, were you much affected by the uh, by the fires? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much smack bang in suburbia, so I'm pretty safe. But we have a place that's in um, basically a few hours out from Melbourne and it's kind of just somewhere we stay you know for holidays and breaks and stuff and that came quite close to the fires um last few times we've been lucky each time where we've kind of missed it but um yeah I mean we basically as a blanket rule if it's you know over a certain amount of degrees we're not going anywhere near the country and I think that's most Australians but um, yeah, Victoria was was really ripped up the last time, and then after that, New South Wales and Queensland just burn and burn and burn for I don't even know how long. It was burning for about six months after. So um, wow. I was yeah, I was pretty lucky because I suppose we're we're fairly protected if we're in suburbia. But if you, I mean, Sydney's pretty. Most of our states, I suppose, most of our capital cities are pretty surrounded by bushland. Once you get out of, you know, like maybe half an hour, you, you're in the woods. Mm. So um, it does, when it burns, it, it does burn for a while. Mm. Mm. Surefire way to muck up your barbie. <laughs> <laughs> At least people so, won't notice if you've got a barbie going, though. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but has the um, has the wildlife started to show any sign of recovery? Yeah, I think I think it definitely has. I mean, we we had such an impact on our biodiversity. I know, particularly in Queensland, um, we had so many koalas that I mean they were already on the brink anyway um, because they're all so affected with chlamydia. 
Um, so they basically managed to get them to a point where they were semi-rehabilitated and then the fires went through, which kind of really messed stuff up. So they're trying to get back to a good population level for that, but it's it's going to take a while. Mm. You, you, yeah. you just um, blew my train of thought there. Chlamydia. Tell me about uh, koalas and chlamydia. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Think I, it's, uh, chlamydia pecorum there, uh, infected by yeah pretty much they they get these really nasty sores all around their bottom um and then obviously that's how it spreads so as soon as they have um you know as soon as they mate they pass it on and they pass it on quite rapidly um and also the the, it's there's pretty much every koala that you know exists has chlamydia um there's a very very small portion of koalas that they've been able to um basically breed that don't have chlamydia and they've tried to re-release them onto an island to try and get the population of non-affected koalas back to normal um i don't know how that was affected with the fires though um i think that happened around the same time that the fires broke out so they were a bit worried about that um, because it's taken a really, really long time to be able to find koalas that don't have chlamydia to breed with them to then try and outcompete the ones that do. Wow. Right. Yeah. It's, it's quite a tricky thing to treat, isn't it, um, with with antibacterials? Yeah, they pretty much just, I, I know particularly the ones that are in the zoo, um, all they were being able to do was supportive care and basically washing their bottom every day. Um, there's really not a whole heap you can do. Mm-hmm. Poor things. Yeah. yeah. Didn't 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 realise that was happening at all. Mm, yeah. yeah. Pretty much every koala um, is either a carrier or is, has pretty bad symptoms of it. Wow. Yeah. Maybe they should wear condoms. Yeah. <laughs> koala condoms. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Perhaps I mean, Scott that Morrison. Would help, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, perhaps Scott Morrison should initiate a government education program to koala bears. Yeah. <laughs> just just wrap it up, fellas. Come on. Yeah. Play play safe, would you? Yeah, <laughs> Although he'd, exactly. he'd, yes. probably, he'd probably go only on mate with the ones that don't, you know, look yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd probably go on holiday <laughs> though, saying, um, <laughs> it's not my hands that hold the hose. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, it would take a very nice long break. Um overseas while the place is on fire i think we've just blown all our listeners who are scott morrison fans <laughs> there's not and, many and, of them don't worry about it and anyone with any sensitive feelings don't hold the hose yeah, don't. No, that's, <laughs> what, that's where you're not, putting that chicken's neck yeah did you not know <laughs> that's what he did hmm? did you not know that's what he did no the latest outburst of, of forest fires he went mm. off on holiday and he was challenged by Onis as to why in the midst of one of our biggest national emergencies, the fires and COVID, et cetera, are you going off on holiday? And his response yep. was, it's not my hands that hold the hose. I thought it was a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you were going to put Segway putting his, his neck on the block with... Well, no, I was... Neck. I was- <laughs> I was sort of finding the same euphemism as holding the hose as sort of strangling the chicken neck. Um, because there's a blog you do, Jessica, and you mentioned chicken necks. Not, not a hasten to say that sort of blog, okay? So we're, we're, we're moving away from uh, 
uh, from sexual innuendo and, yes. uh, and, 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 yes. and things like that. But um, uh, I've got a dog. Why should I not feed it chicken necks, raw chicken necks? <laughs> And there's a pause as we get to this. <laughs> there's a pause. Look, I'll, I'll start. I'll start with a personal story. Um, so this this particular study that it refers to is actually um, being produced by the university that's practically around the corner from where I work. Um, so it's in our state, and it's a very. I thought it was a very well known piece of um, research, but apparently it's not. Um, now, probably fast forward about 20 years, my parents had a cat about 20 years ago um, who pretty much um, had two sort of episodes of paralysis and then we took it to the hospital and it died. Um, and we did lots and lots of tests, couldn't figure out what was wrong, um, you know, no snake bite, no toxins, anything that you would assume would cause paralysis. Um and then uh, so suddenly died. Now, about two, three weeks prior to its death, a vet had recommended give it chicken necks because um, it will help remove the tartar on the teeth. Again, didn't think anything of it. 20 years later, this piece of research comes out and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I, how, how do we not know this, that, you know, potentially there could be a link there? Um, and obviously the link is is discussed in dogs, but it's not a far stretch to think, well, what else could have caused this issue to happen in my cat for it to suddenly die? And the only different thing that it's had is chicken necks. So, uh, yeah, and then the with that research coming out, you know, it, it's still even 20 years later, people still recommend this. They still recommend, you know, giving chicken necks and raw chicken to dogs um, and cats. And I just sort of thought, I, I just need to tell people because I don't think people know. Um, and, you know, and dogs are still dying of this and dogs are still getting really, really, really sick from eating raw chicken. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the main reason I wrote the, the blog because I just I was just blown away with the lack of awareness. And, and this is um, acute polyridiculomyelitis, neuritis, isn't it? This is uh, yeah. the, the uh, disease. Uh, that, that affects um, dogs, uh, that, mm. that causes muscle weakness uh, because of nerve root inflammation. And there's there's believed to be, I don't think it's been proven absolutely, but there's believed to be uh, a relationship between that and uh, Compilobacter. And yes. the reason that, that, that chicken necks come into it is that, of course, Chickens are uh, very prone to be infected with Campylobacter. If you don't cook them, then you can get Campylobacteriosis. And mm -hmm. uh, they found that the, there's quite a strong correlation between dogs that are fed raw chicken and, mm -hmm. um, and, and dogs that get this acute uh, ridiculous, uh, polyridiculoneuritis. Uh, and um, <clears throat> it's fulfilling, therefore, some of Cox's postulates, isn't it? The... the um, the need to have a causation between an organism and a disease mm. uh, fulfilled. So, so we, we have to say that, 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 that it isn't definitively proven, no. but, but there certainly does seem to be a link. And it may be that there's a link in cats as well. And it may be that there's a link with people 
as well. Yeah. Um, there are certain uh, diseases affecting multiple nerve roots in humans, of which Guillain-Barré syndrome is, uh, is one of the most commonly known ones. Uh, and I don't believe that there is, well, there's, there certainly isn't a single causative uh, agent involved there. Uh, more recently, it was shown that, that, that um, Guillain-Barré type syndrome was, was found in certain COVID sufferers. Yeah. Um, lots of toxins have been shown to, to, to cause it. But uh, I haven't had a chance, I must admit, to look into whether uh, Compilobacter is, is one of those causes in humans. It may well be. I guess the point, though, is Compilobacter, we know that, that most chickens have Compilobacter, just the way they're intensively farmed makes it impossible mm -hmm. to eradicate those, a bit like koalas and, and chlamydia. You know, you wouldn't want to eat a, a raw koala. Uh, <laughs> well, why, why would you want to eat a raw chicken if you know you're going to get Compilobacter, regardless of whether it causes this, uh, this nerve injury? Exactly. So why, why do people exactly. do it, other than getting shinier well, teeth? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's the main... Um, I suppose that was the main reason that it was recommended. And I know that that was why historically vets have recommended it, um, particularly the, the chicken neck. Um, but I think it, it also harkens to the the raw feeding, um, the, the people that want to raw feed, um, yeah. because they they have this understanding or this, this belief that dogs can, you know, they have a higher pH, so they can overcome these certain bacterias um, that are on the meat. Um, which we know is not the case um, because if that was the case, then dogs would never get sick um, and they would never get sick from any sort of bacteria. So dogs are just as susceptible to it as we are really. Um, but then, like you said, the, the benefit there, there, there really is no benefit to feeding raw chicken. Um, even the chicken necks um, and the, the tartar or the, the belief that it will reduce tartar that link has never really been shown to to improve dental health at all. Um, there, I think there was maybe one study that showed in, you know, a small subset of beagles that it did mildly help reduce plaque. Um, but again, it was comparing it to <laughs> dental treats, VOHC dental treats, and they said, well, there was no significant difference. Sure, it worked but so does a VOHC dental-approved treat. So you may as well just feed a dental treat and avoid the bacteria altogether. So, Can I, can I ask about, about the raw chicken? Um, mm. We know that we can reduce the Campylobacter load by freezing the meat beforehand. Mm -hmm. is, is this meat routinely frozen or is this sort of fresh from the farm, still, uh, still warm from the chicken when it's fed? Um, so in the study, it, it was referring to a bit of both. Um, right. So they kind of covered all bases. They did have one dog that did get the um, APN that had only just had contact with live chickens. It had never eaten a raw chicken or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so and, and it obviously had caught Campylobacter from being close to chickens. Um, the raw chicken necks generally, like you said, they're frozen and then they're defrosted and given right. to them. Um, or they're given in a frozen state. So it doesn't necessarily seem to help that much. Uh, it probably helps a little bit, um, but probably not enough. So it's it's not reducing the load sufficiently to avoid the problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so we've got quite a difficult situation, haven't we? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. Do you see yourself as, um, uh, and, and don't, don't get this take the wrong way, do you, do you see yourself as a sort of crusader out there trying to get the information to, to the right places and, and, uh, uh, and get things done to, to stop the practice? I mean, I think there's part of that. You you do still, to a point, engage these people and you do discuss with them, you know, how they can potentially do it safely. Um, and what I tend to say to people is that, look, the, the studies out there show that there is no benefit to feeding it raw. If you want to feed a diet like this, homemade, cook it. If you cook it, it's not going to reduce any of the benefits that you mm-hmm want to get from a diet in this way. Um, Even hitting a raw diet in a microwave for 20 seconds does not actually change anything other than reducing the bacterial load. Mm. So this is what I explain to clients is that the number one thing is, is your diet balanced? I'm happy to help you get it balanced. The second thing is, if you don't want the bacteria that's potentially going to be harmful to your pet, whether you believe that or not, just heat it up just cook it, just do something that's going to reduce the bacterial load. There are also options out there that are pre-made raw diets that have gone through an additional process to reduce the bacterial load and then had final testing to check that. Um, There are options like freeze-dried raw, which are like have been dried out. Um, So even though they're not what you would assume as raw, they're still technically raw because they haven't been cooked. Um, but they've had a kill step that's reduced that bacterial load that's going to be safer than if you're trying to make it at home. And the other thing I explain to clients is that the meat that you buy in the supermarket that you're putting into your raw diet is not designed to be fed raw. It's allowed to contain a significant level of salmonella because it knows or the, the producers know that you're going to cook it. So if you're giving it to your pet straight off the, the shelf, you are going to do harm, whether you know that or not. Or you 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 think that or not you you will be doing harm because it's designed to be cooked. So you're going to have to do something that's going to be safe. Um, and I generally give people handouts and information, and I won't sit there and fight with them. I'll just give them the handouts and the information, and they can have a read through it later. And generally, clients will come back to me and be like, "Okay, this is a bit more involved than I thought it was. Can you help me out?" Um, because you you're not coming there to fight with them or to judge them. You're just explaining to them these are the ways that we could do it better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? And we yeah. sort of we've we've moved to to a midpoint of your of your job rather than starting off at the beginning. So mm. you're 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 a veterinary nurse. You work in practice. Uh, you're a practice manager, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I am. <laughs> right. So you've do, you've done all roles in the veterinary in the veterinary business. Yeah, I started about. 10 years ago now, um, or actually 11 years now, I think this year, um, as an animal attendant. So I was just the little junior in the back corner, you know, cleaning up the cat carriers and um, sweeping the floor and not doing too much. Um, And I did that for about four years throughout high school. Um, So in in Australia, I I don't know if you have a similar thing, but when you're in year 10, so about 14 and nine months, um, you go out and you do work experience. So basically unpaid work for about two weeks. Um, and obviously at that point, I was already obsessed with the vet industry and wanted to work in the vet industry. Um, so I went out, I did my placement. Um, I got a job after that. I worked for four years as an animal attendant. And then I went to uni, 
did my bachelor's degree in animal and veterinary bioscience. I did placement with that. I got a job as a veterinary nurse. And that was sort of the turning point because at that point, up until then, I was like, I'm going to be a vet. That's what I want to do. I love that. Like all of that, I'm going to be a vet. And then my mum turned to me one day and she was like, you know, every day that you come home, all you talk about is what the nurses are doing. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, she's like, you haven't told me one thing that the vets are doing. I don't think you actually are interested in anything that the vets are doing. Um, and I was like, yeah, you're exactly right. Like I'm, I love doing the nursing stuff. I love, you know, caring for the animals, going out, sitting with them, you know, recovering them from anesthetic, feeding them, you know, we had exotics there. So I would sit there and, you know, give them critical care and all sorts of stuff. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, so after uni, I went and got my certificate for in veterinary nursing. And then since then, I've been working in practice. Um, and then I've moved through from veterinary nurse student to veterinary nurse to practice manager now. Um, and now I'm doing this with uh, nutrition RBN as well, because I just, nutrition has always been my main interest. Um, and veterinary nursing has just been the vehicle for that. So, so. Um, Turning the clock back then, you, you just mm. dropped the hint there that you you always wanted to be a vet. Mm. So when 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 did that happen and what was it that made you think that you were I have to say, hats off to your mum, because she's obviously yeah. spotted she obviously spotted the thing that you'd be climbing the wrong ladder. Yeah, exactly right. She was exactly route. right. Yeah. So I um I mean the main thing I had always said from a very young age that um, I wanted to be a scientist. That was what it started as. And then by the time I got to 13, so I was in year seven at the time, um, our cat at the time got blocked um, and I had never heard of that before. Um, my mum rang the vet and she was like, I, I don't know what's happening with my cat. He's just screaming all the time. He's going back and forth to the litter tray. I don't know what's wrong with him. This is not like him. And the clinic was like, take your cat here immediately. Like, he's probably blocked. And we were all just like, okay, I don't know what that means, but all right. Um, so we took him there and he ended up staying in hospital for three days with a catheter in. And um, he just, it, it, that was kind of the point where I was like, um, I was really, really interested in how they were fixing him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. when they, sent him home with CD, they were just like, yeah, and then he needs to be on this forever. Um, this will fix the problem and it'll never happen again. And I was like, so you're telling me that this magical food is going to fix everything in this cat? And they were like, yeah, pretty much. Just don't change it. And I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Um, and my dad turned to me and he was like, you know, you want to be a scientist. Well, these guys are scientists. Like they're, you know, scientists for animals. Um, you'd probably want to do that. Um, and I was like, yeah, that is what I want to do. Like I want to work with animals. I find this, all of this is so cool. Like they give me injections, they're giving me like medication, they're figuring out what's wrong. Um, yeah, it was super interesting to me. And then, yeah, and then that was from that point on, I was like, okay, I want to be a vet. That's that's what I want to do. Wow. Amazing, amazing, and and has it uh, has it been what she thought it would? Yeah, I think um, she definitely. Uh, my mum was definitely right when she said that. Yeah, I don't think you really want to be a vet. Like I did, obviously apply to vet school, um, but 
I, I, they said to me, they were like, oh, if you reapply next year because you missed one subject, blah, 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 blah. Um, like I basically just had to fulfill a few boxes to tick and then I could get in. Um, and that was the sort of turning point where my mum was like, yeah, but you want to be a vet nurse. Like, I just know that that's what you want to do. Um, yeah. And then from that point on, I was like, just so fulfilled. Like, I just, I just love my job. Um, and I see now <laughs> the vets that I work with and I'm like, thank God I'm not a vet. <laughs> oh, I just would be so stressed all the time. Like I'm stressed as a vet nurse and a manager, but I, I just, I just wouldn't be able to handle the stress as a vet, I don't think. And I would, and I, I'll, I'm apologizing to you guys now, but I would be extremely bored <laughs> because I would not be able to do enough nutrition and I would be very sad about it. So, so nutrition really is your thing, isn't it? You, you love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, always has been, always has been. So if, if you could, looking back then now mm. to, to those cathartic moments and that loving guidance that you received, mm. if you were going to write a letter now to your seventh grade self and mm. when all of this, this started, what, what would be the key point that you'd be mentioning there? I think... I think a lot of people ask me that question because they see that obviously in Australia, we don't have to do a bachelor's degree to be a vet nurse. Mm -hmm. um, you can go straight out of school into vet nursing. And a lot of people ask me if I regret going down this path with the bachelor's degree first. And honestly, I would still give myself the same advice. I would still tell myself to go to uni and go through this course because this course is what gave me I suppose it's what got me where I am now and I'm I wouldn't have changed anything. Um I really like the fact that I did things backwards. Um <laughs> and I just yeah, it's just given me a different career path that I don't think would have been possible if I had have just left school and gone straight into vet nursing. Mm -hmm. So I would have I would have told myself don't put so much pressure on yourself in year 11 and 12 because you're not going to get into the uni that you think you are. Um, but you're going to get into a course that's going to be 20 times better and you're going to love it way more and you're going to be really fulfilled. So so would you say listen to mum as well? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know until until she saw me working in it in the field and was like, yeah, I don't think you the penny's not dropped yet, but yeah. like you're going to figure it out, but it's taking too long. You need to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 good loving support though isn't it because yeah. I, I, the way the way you mm. tell the story that that comes across as as a non-judgmental observation mm. um, yeah exactly that, yeah that, because obviously if if that hadn't happened then potentially you would have been following your career path on a career that you thought or or felt that you wanted which may yes. have been completely the wrong path for you because yes. the, the, the quality of, of um, Nutrition RVN, the blog, and, and everything that you're putting together is, is absolutely first class. And it really is. It is. It's very well researched and very well written. You know, and you, you, you wouldn't <laughs> have been doing that, would you? You'd have been no. stuck in the drudge of, of being a vet, like, you know, bit yeah. like him. <laughs> so well yeah, done. I mean, well done, Mum. Exactly. Yeah, uh, 100%, like, power to her. Like, she's she's best. Um, <laughs> but like you said, like, I, you know, I work with a vet student now and, and 
but I have this discussion with her all the time and she's just like, you know, you would be so bored. Like she's just like, I just can't imagine you as a vet. You just would hate it. And, and you know, I, I think about the statistics of, you know, new grads, how they just, they leave the profession within the mm-hmm. first five years. And I was yep. just like, wow, cool. you know, I feel like that would have been me. Like I just... Yeah. You know, now, like, the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I just, I would have probably gone back and still ended up going and doing nursing and been like, I just want to be a nurse because this sucks. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the take-home message then is, is follow your dream, but make sure it is your dream. Yes, exactly. Good message. Take the advice. Message. Take the advice of the people around you because sometimes they know you better than they, you know yourself, really. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a that's a lovely take home. So also follow the advice of the people who know you. It is, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. So so where did this where did where did um, nutrition RVN come from? What 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 made you do all of this, Jessica? Because you you produce this high quality blog. Um, you've got your own website. Um, you're obviously involved in in something that he and I don't understand called Instagram and social media because we. Don't, <laughs> We don't do social media, um, so you, you you've got involved in all of that. So what? Where did all of that come from? What what made you start doing that? Yeah, I think uh, there's just so many different things that I suppose kind of culminated into nutrition RVN. I think, um, as I said before, nutrition was always kind of the key like the main Mm -hmm. thing that I was interested in and and like I said from that story where you know they handed me the bag of cd and it was like you know heaven opened and my brain was like oh my god um and then there's the kind of behind the scenes which is I've I've had a lot of my own um nutritional issues and gastrointestinal issues Mm -hmm. um I have celiac disease so I'm very I suppose self-aware of nutrition and what that entails so I suppose it was only logical that I was then super interested in animal nutrition, um, mm-hmm. kind of the two worlds combined. Um, and then so I suppose that was kind of what always pushed me in the direction of wanting to learn more about nutrition. And then there was um, once I came into this role and I was sort of working more, we're a very, very small clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work very, very closely with the vet. Um, and I'm pretty much the main point of call for all of the clients anyway, and I'm talking to them all the time. Right. And I just, both for myself and for clients, I just knew that there wasn't the information there. When I say wasn't the information there, I mean wasn't good information there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of information, whether that's good or bad um, is another story. But Mm -hmm. uh, I know for myself, I was always looking for, like information about nutrition and courses and like more stuff to learn about. And it was just impossible to find. Like if you go out and you look for continuing education for um, anesthetics or something, like there's there's just heaps and heaps of stuff out there, but there's like nothing for nutrition. And I was just like, why is it so hard for me to find courses and find like reputable blogs and like good information and just stuff like that? And then I was just like, you know what, I'll just bloody build it myself, you know, because no one else is going to make it. And so I was just like, I've always enjoyed writing and I was always pretty good at writing in school. So I was like, look, uh, I'll just write some blogs. Probably no one will read them. 
Um, and then so I started writing blogs and then I was like, people are not going to find these blogs because they're not looking for blogs. People are looking for information on social media or Google. Mm-hmm. And social media just became the vehicle to kind of sort of step in front of the bus. Like if people find bad information, it was sort of like, <laughs> let's just balance out the bad information with good information so that if people are on Instagram, which they're going to be on Instagram and they're going to find 6 billion videos of someone making a raw diet, they might just scroll past mine that says, please don't, you know, like, um, and then if they want to read the like detailed stuff, then they can go to my website and they can read the full rundown and see all of the research and everything there. And it's just a one-stop shop. So it was just kind of all those things combined and even like, just like handouts for clients and just stuff like that. I was just like, it just doesn't exist for nutrition. So yeah, I just was like, I'm just going to have to make it myself. You touched on a a couple of things there because there was a big falling out with um, the Australian government and Facebook not so long back. Mm. And it was revealed that obviously there are regional differences, but the majority of the Australian population get their news feed from Facebook. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Yep. It, it it's 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 a it's it's not just a generational thing either. It, it, mm. It's a sort of a a whole social culture thing that most Australians get their information. Like we we yeah. I, I don't know. We we listen to the BBC, and yes. the, the, the the BBC for a lot of us is is our news feed, or you get Apple News on your on your Apple device. Um, but for Australians, it's Facebook. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, the thing is, is that it's it's always there and it's always accessible. The news is always on. Yeah. But it's only on when you turn the TV on. I'm not a big user of Facebook, but I know that, like, even Twitter, I generally get notifications on Twitter before I actually know what's happening because I'm not watching TV because I'm at work or I'm somewhere else. So, so social media is, is quite a, an important factor in, in Australian life. And so that's what made you decide to jump in front of that particular bus then? Yeah, exactly. So I get a lot of clients that will come to me and say, um, you know, I saw this on Facebook. It's definitely true. I'm in a Facebook group. This is what they told me that I should be feeding or should be doing with my pet. Um, You know, the breeder has a special Facebook group that only we have access to. And, um, you know, this is what they're telling us to do. And I sort of was like, I'm going to have to get involved in this Facebook stuff um, and see what they're talking about um, and where people are getting this horrible information from um, because none of it's true. Um, And then that's when I was sort of like, well, if I'm kind of, you know, lurking in the background and like can just like and just like send people links of stuff that I've written um, in those Facebook groups in like a super non-lurky, dodgy way, then they'll stop, you know, one day someone's going to walk into the clinic and I'm, I'm waiting for the day because they're going to walk in and be like, well, Nutrition RVN said this, and I'm just going to be like <laughs> cringing in the corner. Oh, um, and who is this Nutrition RVN? And what yeah, does she oh, I don't her? know her. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but she sounds like she's talking the right stuff. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about. You should probably listen to her. Um but this yeah. is a big problem. I think you, you mentioned it uh, quite early on in, in one of your blogs that actually there's so much information out there and, and we're so used, I think, 
to, to believing the written word. Mm. These days, you you look, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you, you look for something that reinforces your belief and you can find it on the internet. Yes. So uh, our problem with clients is getting them to read the things that we know are right. <laughs> and, yes. and also, also, getting back from that, how do we know the stuff that we're looking for is right? It, it's peer-reviewed, it's scientifically validated, and uh, it fulfills all the postulates necessary to, to make it right. Exactly. Now, we're trained to do that, aren't we, to some extent? Hopefully, to a great extent, as vets and nurses. Mm. Um, our clients aren't, uh, necessarily. Um, although some of them, of course, maybe. Some of them are scientifically trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have biases. And we have to we have to allow for our own biases and clients' biases mm. and try and get a, a reasoned approach. And, and I, I think you do that in your blog quite well because your blogs are obviously not peer-reviewed but they are uh, referenced and resourced yeah yeah exactly yeah and that's and I've I've had like you said I have written in the past blogs and and things like that where I've kind of explained to people or clients or pet owners that you know this is how you spot those things and this is how you know the information you're getting is from someone who has done that research or someone who has um, taken into account that they may have bias or, you know, whether they're actually educated to speak on this topic. Um, because I feel like there's so many people out there that are like, I know something about pet nutrition and they've probably never even seen a dog walk past, but mm. they think that they have that knowledge to impart. And people, like you said, they don't know the difference between that and someone who has gone through eight years of vet school. Um, so that's that's why I've put up, there are blogs where I've put up there, you know, these are the types of um, post-nominals you should look for. Um, these are the types of things that you should look in your pet food because your pet food is using these same tax- tactics to reach those clients that don't know any better. So um, like you said, you definitely need to think about your own bias, but I also teach people to to look for those biases so that yeah. they're not persuaded by them. Yeah. And- and not just to read the bit that says scientifically proven to kill whales. Yes. <laughs> Is there a general dog food or a general cat food that, that, that you'd recommend to everyone? Um, I generally recommend people have a look at the Wasaba guidelines. Um, so there is about five diets that meet, well, not diets, five brands that have bajillions of diets under those brands. But they follow all of the Wasaba guidelines. And what that means is, is that they've got someone who is a board-certified veterinary nutritionist or someone who has a PhD or a master's degree in animal nutrition um, who actually formulates their diet or sits on the board of the actual company um, and looks over these things. They also perform quality control and safety testing so you know that you're not getting something that's covered in mould. Um, and they run feeding trials or additional tests to actually check how this food is going to work for pets um, when they eat it, rather than just saying it looks good on paper, everything's fine. Um, and yeah, and so they there's a these guidelines have been set out by board certified nutritionists and BTSs and people who have those high level qualifications and can spot a good food. So they've laid out those guidelines for manufacturers to follow. 
So if you purchase a food under one of those manufacturers, you know that you're getting a high quality product and you're not going to make your pet sick. So I wouldn't say there's one particular specific diet that I'm going to recommend for every patient, but generally I'm going to recommend within those five brands because I know that it's going to be safe for that pet and it's not going to make them sick. So I generally go for that. And then within those brands, I break it down further into, you know, life stage or that pet's particular needs. So everything is highly specific to the patient. Um, So like you said, there's never going to be a diet that's going to work for every pet, Um, but there are diets that are going to work better. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's not necessarily feeding a Bichon Frise diet to a Bichon Frise. I I, uh, had a client recently, and there are are dog food manufacturers that, 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 that tailor these these things yeah. purely purely for marketing reasons uh, i had a client a little while back that, that phoned me up to say that uh, their friend's dog had died of, of old age uh, and she had some some food left over but it was for uh, an athen pincher and she had uh, a poodle mm-hmm. would she be okay feeding that if she mixed in some other food <laughs> she'll probably be fine um I- I referred her on to a nutritionist. Did it have the yeah. right pet's name on the box? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I, I get clients that ask me that all the time where they're like, or, you know, you ask a client, oh, what do you feed? And they'll be like, oh, this particular food because there was a picture of my dog on it. And you go, what? And you, like, Google it and there's, like, a picture of a border collie on the front. It's got nothing to do with the food. It's just that it's got a border collie on it. And she's like, well, I picked that one because it had the border collie on it and I've got a border collie. And it's like, it doesn't mean anything, you know. I mean, there are obviously, like you said, pinched diets or, you know, specific breed diets. While they might be beneficial to that pet, they're not only going to work for that specific breed. They've probably just got an extra supplement thrown in that might be beneficial. Absolutely. But but all all clients, all, all clients with, with special breeds mm. want their breed to be special. They want it yes. to have a an individualized nutritional requirement. Yes. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I have a, 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 a lowland mountain Athen poodle, <laughs> and I yeah. know that we can only feed them elderberries from <laughs> the north slopes of uh, of of, uh, of Headley Down. So yes. <laughs> and of by course. and large it's not really true, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. So where do you see yourself going next? Are you staying put where you are and uh... well um Every time I say that I'm staying put, I don't. So let's not say I'm staying put um, because the last time I said that, um, I ended up being offered the role of practice manager and booted out of my clinic off to the clinic up the road. So um, I actually had a client say to me literally two weeks beforehand, she said, oh, don't you ever leave here? please don't ever leave. You know, I, I really love, you know, your your advice and information. And, and I went, oh, I don't have any plans of leaving. <laughs> and then about a week later, my boss walks up to me and says, so are you going to apply for that practice manager job down the road? Because we're a corporate, so like all the tenants are linked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, like why was I? I wasn't even thinking about that. And he was like, no, please apply because like you you need this job. This is the job for you. And I was like, okay. Um, and here I am two years later. <laughs> but um, 
but yeah, I mean, at the moment, the, the clinic is, it's, like I said, it's very small and it's in desperate need of love. Um, and we've been on this journey for, yeah, two years um, of getting the clinic fixed and renovated. And we finally, finally had the actual big tick approval that they're going to start renovating. Um, so I always said, I'm not going anywhere until the clinic is renovated. So let's wait until the clinic is renovated and then we'll see where I'm going. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. let's let's see what the where the ride takes me because yeah. Where, where do you think you'd like to go? What, what, what do you think your future holds for you? We, we can say that easily because I, I can picture my future quite clearly. It's sort of a, a six-foot-long wooden box with uh, with two ends and a lid, you know, so. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I I really do. I say this all the time, but I'm, I'm always learning when it comes to nutrition. And um, I have for a long time wanted to do my BTS, my vet tech specialist. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, given the fact that I became a practice manager and I have zero mm -hmm. time, um, that's been put on hold. And then COVID happened, so I can't exactly fly to the US to sit the exam. So um, one day, maybe. Um, the other thing is, too, is that you guys in the UK offer an online master's degree in animal nutrition. So that might potentially also be on the card. Right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But I think as well, like my my other passion is just teaching and training and stuff. So I would really, hopefully, um, I'm doing so many different programs at the moment. And Australia is really in its infancy when it comes to vet nursing. Mm -hmm. And I just really want to, I don't know how, but I just really want to contribute to that growing because we've we've only just gotten um, voluntary registration. Like RVN has literally been a two-year thing. Um, right. And so I'm part of the Veterinary Nursing Association and I'm really wanting to help them with that. But I also really would love if Australia actually got involved in specialties because it's available everywhere else except Australia. And it's kind of lame that I have to consider going to the US or the UK just to sit an exam um, mm -hmm. when I'm sure there's enough vet nurses in Australia that would be interested in this. So I I think that was another thing that I thought about with Nutrition RVN is just getting people excited about it because I don't think anyone, I feel like everyone in Australia is just like, it's not a thing because no one cares. But it could be if, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Why why do you think this is? I don't know. I think um I think the main issue is the fact that Australia doesn't have a regulated pet food industry, like at all. Right. Um and I'm unfortunately a lot of people are like, oh, but you're like your regulations on meat is so much better than everywhere else, and that's why pets don't get sick from raw meat. And I just sit there like you don't even understand the beginning of it um, because, and I also get clients that ask me like, you know, why can't, you know, is there anything that's Australian made that you recommend? And I'm like, there are so many reasons why I don't recommend Australian made food. And the main reason is we have no regulations here. So anything that's Australian made is probably garbage because it's not good. Um, and there's, there's no one qualified. Or, or, or at to least you can't prove that it's good or not. 
Mm. Well, exactly. And yeah. there's there's nothing that's, you know, no one's doing testing on these things. You know, the, the nearest thing we've got to anything is Massey University in, in New Zealand. We don't even have anyone who even can, you can't even study animal nutrition at a, you know, like a master's degree level in Australia. So it's just kind of, yeah, people just, the structure is not there. So people just assume that the interest is not there and no one talks about it, which is mm. why I'm like, let's talk about it. Let's get people excited yeah. about it. Let's do specialties. Let's get, you know, form a working group, form a group of people that like it and want to do their specialty in it. It can happen. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're going to make it happen. And, and when you do, we'll have you back on and yeah. chat to yeah. you about that, about that journey. That I, so I think that's fantastic. Fun. I had no idea about the no regulation thing. Yeah, no, yeah. There's, a, there's I mean, an assumption that, that every um, Western, advanced, whatever whatever label you want to put on, mm. on our, on our civilization's communities would have an element of structure and, yeah, and regulation, yeah. and that would involve exactly. things like testing. So mm. is there anything else in Australia that's like that then? I mean, the only thing we've got is the Pet Food Manufacturers Association, which unfortunately, uh, sorry, Pet Food Manufacturing, PFIAA, I'm getting right. confused with PFMA, which is you guys. Right. Um, so it's a voluntary association. You don't even right. need to be part of it. You don't need to follow any regulations. You don't need to follow anything um, if you're not a member. And mm -hmm. if you're a member, it's just voluntary. And if you're a voluntary member, it just means that you follow a standard that basically just says you label what's on the label, um, you know, what's in the food. It, it's no real, it's not strict. And people certainly don't get in trouble if they break it because it's voluntary. So Wow. So there's no real incentive, is there, at the moment for people to do it? No. So Unless no, they're really charging more. We we could set exactly. up a company company selling um, <laughs> fresh fresh kangaroo meat and yep. basically go out in the outback and pull in all the roadkill that's been killed every night by the mm -hmm. road trains and just yes. min mince it all up and it doesn't matter whether it's been on the road for one day or ten days yes. and put it on the market as homegrown Australian fresh kangaroo. Exactly. And wow. I'll tell you a horrible story about that, which happened very recently in my state. Yeah. Um, we had 21 dogs that died because they were being fed uh, what the pet owners thought was diced kangaroo or beef. Right. Um, and what it actually was, was horse meat that had been transported from uh, Northern Territory all the way down to Victoria, slaughtered in Victoria and then given as pet meat. Um, but people were labelling it as beef or kangaroo. Um, now, the problem is, is that horse meat from uh, NZ, uh, sorry, um, NT, is uh, unfortunately generally not fit for consumption because they eat a specific type of plant that is highly toxic to dogs. Um, but... You're not going to know that because it doesn't necessarily affect the horses. The horses can eat it and Oof. generally are okay. So what happened was all these dogs started having acute uh, liver failure and died um, because they thought they were eating uh, raw beef and or wow. uh, kangaroo, but they wow. were eating diced horse. Wow. There's so, there's so, so many wrong elements in that, isn't there? 
Yeah. That, that yeah. whole journey for those poor animals from the Northern Territories all the way down to the South, which is a yep. hell of a journey in the first place. Why are we transferring live animals? Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, my word. Crazy. Yeah, it was mm. crazy. And they've only just figured that out. And that has been about three months that it's taken for them to figure out how these dogs are getting sick and dying. And they've said that, um, unfortunately, they're probably not going to lay any charges because only in Northern Territory is it uh, illegal to um, slaughter horses and uh, that, that may have, have put it in pet food because of that reason, because in the past there has been situations where this has happened. But obviously in Victoria, we don't have that plant. Therefore, it doesn't matter if we have horse meat in pet meat because it's come from a knackery, so it's okay. But there still comes the point that why have they not labelled it? Why are they transporting these animals? Because they shouldn't be. But, again, these these people are probably not going to be held to account to it because what regulation do we have to hold them to account to? That's appalling. That's yeah, appalling. it really is, isn't it? It shows us the value of regulations. Uh, exactly. Quite often we, we get annoyed about regulations stifling us yeah. we? and, and uh, pushing up costs. But actually there's there's a reason that we have yeah. regulatory bodies and wow. regulation. God, that's awful. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and then all we've got is um, a voluntary reporting system. Um, so vets can put in a report if they suspect that something might be related to food. Um, mm. And then the Australian Veterinary Association can further explore it. Um, but again, they have no power to recall things. Um, they can only, you know, give a little nudge to the company that, hey, you should probably recall this food. Whereas in America with the FDA, the FDA has power to say, you need to recall your food now because this is yeah. causing a problem. Whereas in Australia, it's just like suggested because again, there's nothing you can hold them to. So it's mm. crazy, crazy bad. It is ridiculous, wow. isn't it? That's appalling. Wow. Yeah. Keep up the fight, Jess. Yeah. Je- Jessica, we have we have a weekly thing on our show called 60 Second CPD. Have you come across that? Yes, I have. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's um let's let's kick off then. Here's here's the timer. Here it is. So okay. nutrition RVN, you have 60 seconds. Talking about internet nutritional sort resources, starting from now. Okay, um, so first place to go to is the Mark Morris Institute website. They have the Small Animal Clinical Nutrition textbook free for download for everyone. Everyone, everyone can go there. Um, and that book you are going to use every single day because it has every single condition that you can think of. Jump on there. And it's going to have the key nutritional factors for that pet um, in that disease state. And you can compare that to any pet food that you've got to see if it's going to work for that pet's condition. It's extremely helpful. I use it literally every day. I have hard copies. I have PDF copies. You can jump on there and you can find whatever you need to know about pet food. That's it. Done. <laughs> but but the 17 seconds to go. <laughs> so you've left, you've left the number one questions. best resource best this resource is Mark, this is Mark Morris that's right Mark now Mark Morris was the guy who um, who gives us Hills Nutrition wasn't he he was the founder right. of Hills Nutrition so the, the Mark Morris Institute is I believe a 
charitable organisation, partly funded by the profits of of Hills Nutrition, but but remains uh, as unbiased as it can be in terms of of, of the information it offers. Uh, And actually, when I was at Bet School, we we were taken off to to, to Hills and and they gave us Mm -hmm. The, uh, the, the textbook <laughs> nicely bound. I still got that. Yeah. So it, it's, it's great. So um, uh, obviously, very, 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 very well read uh, by, by me over the years. A mm. um, uh, couple of pressed flowers at the back. It's a nice heavy book too. <laughs> Six <laughs> kilos. Um, my VTS friend um, tells me she said she had to weigh it um, on her flight to the US to sit her VTS exam in nutrition. So she's like. Don't get the uh, the bound book like I did because you'll have to check it in and you'll have to pay a big fee in baggage handling. So don't do that. Wow. Well, yes. okay. this is a very, I've not come across this book. I mean, this is a veritable encyclopedia then that weighs yes. six kilograms. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And, and they're doing, they're doing a sixth edition. That's wow. right. Yeah. I think I had, I think I had the first edition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got the, what have I got? I've got the fourth edition and I've got the fifth edition, which is a quick consult version, which is a right. condensed version. So it's about this thick. How heavy um, is that? And, sorry? How heavy is that? Oh, that one's about 500 grams. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one's the easy one. Um, I've also got one that's about this thick, but it's a pocket-sized one. So it's only about Ah, that. very good. Um, very good. And which is the fourth I- edition. Thanks very much for your 60-second CPD condensed, mm. condensed yes. version. And the take-home message from that is, uh, I guess, if you're going to look at an online resource, make sure it's one that is correct, that works, that isn't biased. Exactly. Isn't naff. No. Mm. <laughs> so, tell, Julian, Jessica's gone to the trouble of doing that. Have you have you gone to the trouble of providing us with a CPD certificate? I have. <laughs> I have okay. got. A CPD certificate because I think that's, uh, that's worth a CPD certificate. So here we go. It says, Crikey, quality <laughs> certificate. Uh, the nutritional value of this certificate is truly amazing. It will cure yeah. all your GI problems or your money back. Oh, let's have a look. I can't, I can't see it there, Julie. I love it. There we go. Oh, so, yeah. so, what have we got on our certificate today then? We have an African hunting dog. Right. And, and its nice. descendant. <laughs> oh yeah, that that's Jake. That's my little dog who who evolved personally from an African hunting dog. So we've got a, we've got a wallaby. We've got a wallaby, a white yeah. Wallaby, uh, and oh, obviously white. That's white a white. That's a white wallaby, Julian. It's a white wallaby, and white wallabies obviously have to have a different food. Is that normal wallabies? Oh right, okay. I thought that was a polar white wallaby, wallaby food. White wallaby food. Otherwise, right. they turn pink like flamingos. Yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Uh, there, there is. There's a bumblebee, right there, um, and I have no reason for bringing the bumblebee in other than, of course, bumblebees, uh, like like all other bees, produce honey, which is probably one of the most nutritionally balanced single foods you can get. Except right. if you eat only honey, then you probably might be rather prone to uh, to diabetes. <laughs> So yes. you guys, don't eat just honey. Don't do that. Okay. And, um, and is that a moose? It, it's, it's an acarpi. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, it's an acarpi okay. eating a fence. Right. 
And I put that in really just to show that uh, no matter how we may think that animals will always choose the best food for themselves, because that's something that's often fired at me, yes. uh, they clearly don't. Uh, hence, we get dogs eating uh, rubber balls and the carpies eating their fences. Yes. So you, I think the fence eating a carpy is on the critical endangered list, list for some reason. It, it is. Dying Probably out. from eating fences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They rapidly take offence of whatever you say. Probably. <laughs> boom, boom. Well, that's the joke for this week as well. <laughs> so, so, so no, 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 there's, there's the CPD stuff. Thanks very much for uh, providing the CPD for us. For that. Fantastic. Thank you. That's fantastic. So so is it is it that time then, Julian? Is it is it that time that I have to say that if you've enjoyed what you've heard, don't forget to click like, follow, subscribe. And uh, you can pick us up on all of the main social media channels, all of the uh, webcasting channels. And if you want to watch Our Faces for Radio, um, then you can watch us on Facebook, YouTube and, uh, and other social media channels. So, Jessica, Jessica J, yes. Nutrition RVN. Yes. <laughs> thank you very, very much for imparting your knowledge and uh, for help, hopefully helping guide some of our listeners to uh, to the right ways to feed their cat, dog or, uh, or other domestic animal. And uh, thank you very much indeed for your time and all of the effort that you've put in. So Thanks for having me. With no further ado, I'll raise a glass to you, even though, even though it's evening in your time and it's morning in ours. <laughs> may, may your dog go with you, Jessica. Thank you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. 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 So, brilliant. Thanks, thanks for coming on, Jessica. All right. Thanks a lot, Jess. You take care. Thanks, guys. See you Bye-bye. later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.